Hello and welcome to How to Deal with Grief and Trauma. My name is Natalie Milrich. How to Deal with Grief and Trauma is completely self-funded, produced and edited by me, Natalie Milrich. Consider making a small donation to support the podcast. Go to bit.ly bit.ly slash support capital G capital T and podcast I repeat bit.ly slash support GT podcast thank you so much and for more information please visit Natalie's website join the podcast Instagram page and subscribe to the newsletter to receive updates on future episodes So today's guest I'm very excited about. It's Julie McFadden and she has been a nurse for 15 years. She's an experienced ICU and now hospice and palliative nurse. And Julie has been featured in Newsweek, USA Today, The Atlantic and several other articles worldwide. Julie has been passionate about normalizing death through education to the masses using social media. Imagine her TikTok has 1.4 million followers and you can find her on all the social media platforms which you'll find all the links in the show notes at Hospice Nurse Julie on TikTok, Instagram and YouTube. And this is how I found you. And it's uh, We've been speaking just before, which I want to just share a little bit here because I feel like I found with you, Julie, a friend, another friend who is friends with death. And so I want to welcome you. Thank you so much for um, sharing some time with us here today. Thank you. And thank you for all you've been doing and helping others. I think my listener and I are we're really interested in how did Julie become hospice nurse, Julie? What brought you on this path to where you are today? Well, um, being an ICU, so I was an ICU nurse for the first half of my career. And being an ICU nurse, which is like, if no one is familiar, it's a, like an intensive care nurse where you are trying to keep people alive. That's like, that's, you know, it's an intensive unit where people are dying and you're trying to help them, you're trying to get them to not die. Mm. Uh, and that's a very general, that's very general, but um, that's what I was doing for the first half of my career as a nurse. And because of that, um, that experience, which I'm really grateful for, but it got me thinking about the other side, which is hospice uh, or palliative care. And that is how I transitioned to a hospice nurse. I eventually got to this space where I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. It was too fast paced. It was too much like hurry. You have to hurry up, try to care, but hurry up and do it. And I didn't know mm -hmm. how to do the two. And I felt like we were doing some people um, and their families a disservice sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes in the ICU, really keeping people alive with machines far too long. Uh, and then they ended up dying anyway in the hospital. Family wasn't prepared. You know, it was just, there was a lot of suffering. There was a lot of traumatic things that happened there. Um, again, it's not always wrong or bad, but in some situations, and if we work there long enough, you start thinking, I don't know if I want to keep doing this, which has helped me transition. Uh, I finally just, I finally just took I finally just quit my job and applied for hospice nursing jobs. That's how it went. And the hospice nursing jobs all said, you need to have experience as a hospice nurse. And I didn't, but I applied anyway. <laughs> and thankfully, someone finally hired me. <laughs> and um, that's how I became an actual hospice nurse. I just sort of did it. And over a few years of being a hospice nurse, I started um, 
just seeing the beauty in death and seeing these amazing like facts about death and dying that I knew most people didn't know. Cause even as a healthcare worker, as a nurse, an experienced nurse, I didn't know these certain facts that I tell everybody now. So that started, that started me down the path of going on social media and making videos to educate about death and dying. And of course it's just turned into this whole <laughs> much bigger thing than I ever expected. Mm. Um, it really did feel like it was kind of on a whim. And I think maybe it was just like the right time. People were ready to listen. Um, I always thought it was very fascinating as well. So it was a really nice surprise to see that a lot of other people, once I started making videos, um, found it fascinating and not as scary as we might think. Exactly. I mean, for me, it is fascinating. And, and I described to you the process of my daughter dying, which is how I held her in my arms. And I feel extremely grateful to have been there, to have had the honor to be there at this other side of, of life, the door to death, where I just had given birth. So was there any loss or trauma in your life that propelled you for in the first place to become a nurse or? So I've had a lot of um, uh, sudden death in friends when I was younger. Mm -hmm. I don't know. So it still doesn't feel like maybe later on, because I feel like things come to you in hindsight, right? It's been yeah. 20, 20 some years, really. But I don't see that. I don't see how that propelled me into hospice work, right? I, I really don't see the correlation, but I do know grief. Um, and a lot of my uh, losses came from friends at an early age, you know, in my teens, early 20s, um, from just sort of tragic, you know, tragic accidents, um, things like that. It, it never seemed to relate to my work, but... I always feel like you find these things out later. You see how all these things intertwined, right? And I, mm -hmm. and it certainly has shaped my belief in, in something greater, um, an afterlife, which could be a whole other podcast, right? But like those things have shaped who I am, for sure. Hmm. Because the the thing that we also spoke about is the interest that people take in obviously your sharing, your education, which I am really glad about because we're, I'm, yeah. I'm here for the same purpose. I want to educate people on grief and grieving and, and tip it a little bit to the side of it being a normal thing like death and dying. So yeah. I'm really glad that people are following you and, and you're sharing so eloquently about it. But maybe let's give the people who might have an idea but are not really sure and are never daring to ask a little bit of those things to understand so hospice like palliative care active dying sort of the things that you mention about if we were to explain that to someone who doesn't know what would what would you say yes so i'm going to try to just so everyone knows anyone listening hospice and palliative care are different and they are a huge topic that I could spend like an hour alone just, just trying to describe it with all of its detail. We're not going to do that, obviously. So I'm going to just sort of wrap it up in a nice little bow. But please know that there are many details to it. And it depends on where you live, right? So the UK yeah, exactly. is different than the US. It's different than Canada. So it's going to differ a little bit. Um, and my expertise is in the U.S., but palliative care and hospice are different. Palliative care, uh, they are kind of one and the same, and I think it's a little different in the U.K. and Canada, but palliative care is like 
uh, if you get a life limiting illness, right? So it might, it is quote unquote terminal, but it might be something you can live with for a long time, but will likely be the reason why you die eventually. Palliative care is meant to treat you as like a whole person. So not just the one specific disease, right? They're going to look at all aspects of your life, your family life, spiritual, um, emotional, like how can we support you with this disease so you can live with this disease well? Mm-hmm. And they're a big, uh, a big component of that is symptom management, having someone to, who really understands the disease to help manage the symptoms of the disease so you can live well. And then eventually you will die from this disease sometime, right? But the whole point of palliative care is to manage the symptoms so you can live well. Hospice is just like that as well. That's, that's the similarity. Hospice is definitely uh, managing symptoms, helping you live, live well before you die. Um, and then it all, but it also can happen in your home, right? So you could be in your home, your family can help take care of you. The hospice nurse can come, kind of come in and out of the home, uh, just to check on you, manage symptoms, uh, both, pre- both programs, although it seems like they're about dying and this sounds cheesy, but I mean it wholeheartedly. They're both, they're both about living. I know people are dying when they're on these programs, but the point of the program is how can you live out? the rest of your life. And these programs are meant to help you do that. So you can be in your home, be with your family, have your symptoms managed, um, understand and prepare what's going to be happening to you. Because I think no one, even people in healthcare, even your doctor who is treating, again, I never want to throw shade to other providers, but I feel like in the hospital, they don't do a great job at explaining what death and dying is going to be like, because truthfully, they don't see it that much. Mm -hmm. They only see it when we're trying to prevent it. But as hospice workers, we are seeing, uh, we see day in and day out what it's like to die, what I would call a natural death, which means yes, you're dying from something, but we're not doing any interventions to to save your life. Um, So we can really help educate what does that look like? What is it going to look like for you specifically with your specific disease? What do we normally see? How do we help it? What do we have to do to make sure you're comfortable? All those things. That is what hospice can give for you, uh, do for you. Um, And actively dying, because you mentioned actively dying. So actively dying is the last phase of life. Yeah. It's a very specific little time period. Sometimes it can last for hours, days sometimes very rarely, but weeks. I've seen people actively die for a couple weeks. Um, And I think this is the phase that scares most people because they're not used to seeing it and they just automatically think this can't be right. But because they, and it's just because they don't see it. So you're, the person is usually fully unconscious. Usually they're not awake. Um, People would describe it as like being in a coma or something. Um, They are not eating and drinking. Um, they may look a little different because their body is so relaxed during this actively dying phase, your muscles relax so fully that your mouth can hang open because it actually takes muscles to keep your mouth shut. So your mouth could hang open, their eyes could be open, but they're not making any eye contact. So that can look a little scary. Their breathing will always change. So how they breathe will always look different. And of course, we associate that with like, they must be suffering. This can't be right. Um, they might have a, which I'll get to in a second. They might have a little gurgly noise to their breath. People call it the death rattle. 
Um, it's actually called terminal secretions. All of these things are, are truly a natural progression in life. And um, the body shuts down in such a way when you're dying naturally, I should say. This, is, this, is, this may be different for someone who dies suddenly, right? I, I, I'm only speaking to like this natural progression of death that I see a lot on hospice. Um, our body does it in such a way that helps us. So like when this person is going through this, they're not awake. Their calcium levels are really high, which makes them sleep and feel unconscious. Their brain shuts down the mechanisms to make them hungry and thirsty. So they're not like, I think people think they're laying there and kind of awake, but can't say anything, which sounds horrific. And that's not what's happening. And how do we know that? It's because we've seen people who are too awake during this process and they may not, and when they will show you, Hey, I'm not comfortable here. It's kind of like a baby right? A baby who can't verbally say I'm thirsty or hungry or, or I've peed, um, they'll cry, right? So like that is kind of how a dying body will act as well. A dying body will not lay there comfortably if they're not comfortable. Um, so there's just a lot of education that needs to go into the actively dying process. So people know what they're seeing is normal and it's okay and it's happening naturally because the body is naturally shutting down and there's different uh, metabolic things happening which is causing the changes in breathing um and once you understand that you can kind of relax which again i know i'm saying a lot here because it's hard to relax when it's your loved one right when it's your mom um but if you can understand what's happening hopefully you can relax a little bit and just be with them this is the time to be with them. And like you said, um, if you can get to a place where it can feel almost sacred, right? That you get to be there for their last breath. You get to, you can, you can be sad and understand that this is an honor and it can be sacred. It doesn't have to feel scary, right? So you don't have to feel like this is an emergency and get those endorphins going. Um, that's what I hope for. I really want people to be able to, um, not feel like this is an emergency. I need to freak out and, and miss the moment a little bit. Cause I think they'll look back and have some grief about that. Or at least I've, I've learned that that's what people have told me, right. They have some grief around yeah. the fact that they weren't able to just be there. Um, which is no, I, I understand if you don't know, you don't know. Right. But that's why I'm here to kind of help educate. So hopefully people can, can know, can relax, can just be there, hold their loved one's hand. Um, it's a very long-winded answer. No, it's a good answer. <laughs> but I have to circle back because what I yes. didn't really hear clearly for me is the differentiation between hospice and palliative care. You say it's similar, but it's not the same. But I don't know what yes. is not the same. Yes. So I feel like the reason why I did that is because, uh, is it okay if I, because I don't know about the UK. So it's only in the US that I know the difference. Yeah, I mean, I'm in Europe, okay? but let, let's just stay where, with where you know and where you are. Oh, you're in Europe. Okay, so yeah, so in the U.S. it's different um, because one hospice is funded by Medicare, so it's fully Medicare funded, and Medicare is our boss. We have to follow all these rules and regulations per Medicare, and every hospice company should be operating the same uh, because Medicare says what we can and cannot do. So um, it's mostly in the home. Hospice is mostly in the home, 
and families are taking care of the person. So it's mostly like 80% family taking care of your loved one. They're doing 80% of the work, which surprises people. And hospice mm. will do about 20. Hospice is not like coming into your home and staying 24-7. They are, you, the family members, are doing most of the work per Medicare. I don't necessarily agree with that, but that's what's happening. And hospice is a program that is end of life. So it's like you have to meet criteria. So one of the criteria is you have to have a doctor or someone say you have less than six months to live because of some kind of diagnosis. So you can't just go on it because uh, you're 100 years old and you don't feel like going to the hospital anymore. Even though I think you should be able to, you can't. You have to have some kind of terminal diagnosis that clearly states you have less than six months to live, which is why it's really hard to get onto hospice if you have something like dementia. Um, or Alzheimer's disease, because although it's terminal, we know that you can live a very long time with that disease. So you have to have very specific things to prove to us, the hospice company, that you have less than six months to live. Um, so it, that's where it gets a little, uh, like there's a lot of details that go into it. Now, palliative care, at least here in the US, um, you, you have to have some kind of life limiting illness, but it doesn't necessarily have to be terminal. And each palliative care company or the palliative care section of the hospital might have their own rules. So it can differ from hospital to hospital, place to place. The one I happen to work for, you still have to have a diagnosis with likely less than one year to live, but not all palliative companies are like that, right? Mm -hmm. So sometimes it's just, you need to have some kind of chronic issue going on. And palliative care is mostly about managing symptoms. It's not technically an end-of-life program. Now, a lot of people like to marry the two because a lot of times you are on palliative care before you go on to hospice. That is, uh, that is a path. Mm -hmm. um, but in our world, like the, the world, you know, in this hospice and palliative care world, we do try to educate in the sense of like they're different. They're separate. You can be on palliative care and not necessarily go on hospice. Does that happen? I mean, I usually do see most people go into hospice from palliative care, but I think we do try to, because we don't want, people are already afraid of hospice. People don't want to do it. So we're trying not to marry the two because mm -hmm. we want them to go, because palliative care, I always say, if you can get onto palliative care, because there is like criteria to meet to get on it, it's a no brainer. You should always do it because you can be on palliative care and still be getting chemo, radiation, procedures, be in the hospital and be on palliative. So why not? Now hospice, which is a big thing that I haven't mentioned yet. If you're on hospice, you can only really be on hospice. You can't be on hospice and be getting chemo radiation procedures. You have to pick one, which mm -hmm. is why a lot of people are scared to go on hospice. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the things that you mentioned is hospice is at home. But the, the thing that I have heard or seen also in, in one of the documentary that's on Netflix is that people are going into a hospice center. Is that so something that different? Can or? Happen. That can happen. Um, there are like in where I work, I'm in California. Uh, well, California is huge, but I'm in Los Angeles. I'm, they don't have hospice homes in Los Angeles, whereas actually specifically for hospice. Um, but there are hospice homes around the country. So that is an option. But I would say majority of people, at least in the U.S., go to their home and the family has to care for them. Now, let's say the family's like, we can't. There's, we, do not, we cannot care for our loved one. We have to work. We have to do this. Or physically, we can't do it. 
um, then if a ho- if there's a hospice home in your area, you can go into a hospice home or you could go into like a skilled nursing facility. So like a nursing home, uh, in California, we have these things called boarding care, which is kind of like a homey feeling. It's literally a home and they turn each room into like a kind of like a hospital room. So it's like a smaller version mm-hmm. of a nursing, nursing home. But I would say, uh, that's, one of the biggest things that's misinterpreted, I think like a lot of, I know there's documentaries which are real, but also like on television and stuff, they, they kind of make it like, it's always like you're going into hospice and you're going someplace, Yeah, but it's usually the home. Usually. Okay. That's good Mm -hmm. to clarify because yes, I had that image. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the things that I, that I'm really grateful for in what you share is about the beauty of the death. And I mean, if anyone is listening to this and hasn't yet, been to your Instagram or TikTok. I'm not a TikTok person, but Instagram, you should go there because there's plenty of that. But give us some examples because those people that listen to this podcast, they want to know how do I deal with my loss, my death, my grieving, my trauma. And my, or my hope is that by listening to some of the things that you know, there's a potential for them to see the death of their loved one through an additional perspective that might give them some form of peace. Yeah. Yeah. So I would say, um, I'll, I can give specific examples, but I just want to say a, gen- a general statement here. Cause most people think being a hospice nurse is depressing. And they, when they hear I'm a hospice nurse, they're like, Oh, like kind of like you poor thing or, <laughs> or like you're an angel. I couldn't deal with that, you know? And I get it. I mean, thank you. But what people don't understand is truly, and I mean this, I have never seen more beauty. It makes me want to cry right now thinking about the beauty that I get to witness. Like it has changed my life. It's the, I love my job. I love being a hospice nurse. Um, it, it feels more beautiful than sad. I get to see the greatest acts of love that I've like, it feels like, um, like I always say this, I'm not a labor and delivery nurse, but because I've, I've been in nursing school and I randomly have seen like birthing videos, right. That initial, like, here's the baby, the feel like I cannot help but weep when I see like a baby be born and like hear that first cry and everyone's crying and it's like overwhelming. It could be a stranger. And I still will be like weeping because there's something about that specific moment where all of a sudden this baby's here and that is how it feels when someone dies that is how it feels to me when someone dies now I think it's easier for me to see the beauty because I am not grieving it's not my loved one like it's not that immediate like sadness of loss but that's how it feels it's the same feeling it's the same thing where I could almost weep when I see someone's take their last breath because because of something, I don't know what the thing is, but something happens like in that room where it changes and it feels so sacred. And then I see that the, their loved ones around them, surrounding them, caressing them, um, even though it's so sad and so uncomfortable for them, they choose to stay there and be with their loved one on their last breath and say sweet nothings and say how much they love them. And it's the most beautiful thing I could ever witness. And it feels like a birth. It feels like a birth. I can think of one family where, um, and this is not the story that you and I were talking about earlier, but uh, which I can tell if you want me to, but this one family where um, I was visiting the patient and 
I was there a couple of days ago and this person was not actively dying. They, they were, they were dying, but not like super close. You know, they were maybe transitioning, which is like the period before actively dying. So to come there two days later and to see, um, to see him actively dying suddenly, it felt really sudden was a, a shift for me and the family. So I had to tell the family, like, you know, um, he's had a, a change and I think he's going to be dying soon. And um, the way the family was able to go from, like, not knowing this to shifting suddenly into, like, okay, they understood what I said. They all surrounded him. And then well, as I was there, it was, like, very quick. He shifted again where I could tell, oh, man, he, he's really going to he's gonna go. He's going to go, like, now, like, while I'm here. The family didn't budge and they just, I, I left the room to give them some privacy, but I could hear them. They were literally surrounding him, laying, laying on his chest, rubbing his head, rubbing his hands and saying stuff like, it makes me want to cry, saying stuff like, thank you. Thank you for how you loved us. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for being such a good father. Thank you for being such a good husband. Thank you for loving me. We love you. We love you. <laughs> See, I want to cry every time because I can picture in my head how beautiful mm. it was. You could feel, you could feel the love for them, for him and between them. And they were able to just be there, right? They didn't freak out. What? He's dying. He's, he's gone. Uh, you know, I mean, I don't, and I wouldn't blame him if they were like that. It's okay if you're the other way, right? I understand how that can mm -hmm. happen where you mm -hmm. feel scared and you, no, he can't go yet. He can't go yet. Cause it was sudden. It, they knew he was dying, but they didn't know he was going to die that day. But the, the ability they had to just transition and sit there and hug him and love him and cry and say how much they loved him and say, thank you for loving me. Um, until he took his last breath. I was there when he took his last breath. It was the most beautiful thing ever. And I want that for everybody. I want everyone to be able to, cause we're all going to die. All mm -hmm. of our loved ones are right. Mm -hmm. And if we're, I think lucky enough to know and to be able to be there and to be calm and to be in that moment, it can be so beautiful. And I feel like that's what I want for everyone. I want everyone to learn and understand. So when that moment happens in their life, they can have that kind of experience versus the other hectic, scary one. Mm. And um, yeah, so that's, that's the beauty I see. It's like, it's like love in action. You know, we talk about love and it's like this like thing out here, like this uh, thing we can't really see but sometimes I feel like I can see it I can see it in my job because I could hear it and, and feel it and, and see how people are caring for each other so well and it's just the most beautiful thing mm. I can definitely feel when you're when you're saying it and to me it's you know you mentioned birth before and if you think about how much education goes into birth and how much preparation in many cases goes into how you want to be experiencing your child's birth and how you want to have it look like and who you want to be there. There's so much preparation that goes into it, so much education, trainings, um, birthing class. Yes. So what you're talking about is like, yeah, what about classes about dying, how to surround someone that is dying? And Yes. Oh, my God. A, you just – sorry, go ahead. No, no, you go. <laughs> Well, I mean, I was just, when, as you were saying that, I thought, yeah, why aren't we, like, I think when someone gets a quote unquote bad diagnosis, right, there are certain diagnoses, right, certain types of cancers, certain types of advanced cancers, certain types of diseases where we know it's terminal, we know it is, we don't want to 
And I think as healthcare workers, we do a disservice by not addressing that right away. Right. I'm, I, I get how no one wants, I, I, I get it because I'm also a human who doesn't want to die. I mean, more, but like that should be, that should be go hand in hand with treatment. Like here's your treatment options and let's educate you about the death and dying process and prepare you because the reality is that's, that's the real deal. Like they're going to die from this disease. So why are we not talking about it earlier instead of being like, yeah, there's bad outcomes, but look over. It's almost like, I feel like it's like, um, here's the really bad outcomes that are likely going to happen to you. But, oh, look over here, we're going to give ding, you, ding, ding. we're going to ding, ding, ding. But we have these treatments and these, and don't, don't think about that over there yet. And I just think it's doing people a disservice. It's doing people a disservice. Yes, we can have hope. We can do things to try to extend our life and we can prepare for death. And I think people are like, yeah, it's hard, but yeah, it's scary, but yeah. And it's like, I know, but that's what we need to change. We need to change that. We need to change it. <laughs> we, mm. need to, we need to change this. And um, yeah, I just went on a whole tangent there, but um, I get real passionate about it because I just want, I want to change the way we look at death and dying because what's the alternative? Yeah, there isn't. There isn't. It's one thing that is sure right from the moment you are born yeah. is you're going to die. And I guess the, the yeah. preparation that goes into birthing and understanding what pain could be and how pain could be um, medicated or not or what ways to go with it. On the other side, what you're preparing people for is like, well, okay, this is going to happen. The only difference is with people with a terminal um, diagnosis is they they know it for sure because we are also dying. We just pretend yeah. not to know. Yep. Yep. I know. And that's why I said the word, which uh, some people get fired up when I say like, you're, you're lucky enough uh, to know that you're dying. Um, and I don't, I, I, get, I don't know if I want to use the word lucky, I, but I can't think of it another word, but be, because they're, like you said, we're all, you know, we could be in an accident and we don't know we're dying and then we're just gone. Um, that's a whole nother ball of wax. Right. So to me, it's like to know that you are, uh, because you have this specific disease and then to be able to prepare yourself and prepare your loved ones around you, I think is a gift mm -hmm. is a gift. Um, in so many ways I could, I'm sure that can really, um, I can feel how that could hurt to hear, uh, if you're the one or you've already experienced this or, you know, it doesn't feel like a gift. Um, but from what I witnessed, it can be really beautiful. It can be really beautiful. It's like a gift given to the person who's dying to be so present around them. You've witnessed those deaths. And what do you see in terms of like people would ask me, well, does my loved one, did they experience pain or not? I mean, that's often the, the worry that they carry after the loved one has gone. Yeah. So what I always say, and I, I didn't say this, Barbara Carnes did, who's an amazing hospice nurse. She's like the queen of hospice. But she always says um, dying isn't painful. Like the actual act of dying isn't painful. Now, the disease you're dying from can be, 
So we have to medicate for certain, uh, for certain, if you have specific diseases, pain, shortness of breath, things like that. But the actual act of dying, like the, when the body is in the actively dying phase, it's not painful. Your body, um, so just, just, just to hear how amazing the body is. Like I said, when your body is starting to shut down, it makes you sleep more, eat less, sleep more, eat less, sleep more, eat less. And it eventually uh, starts kicking in chemicals. Like I said, your, you're not, your, your calcium rises. So you're super, super sleepy and it turns off the mechanism to make you hungry and thirsty. So eventually you're not eating or drinking anything purposely. The body knows what's going on and the body's making you do that. And then eventually you can go into ketosis, which releases endorphins, makes you feel good, numbs pain if you have if there is pain. Um, so that's like the simple part or the amazing part of like how your body can care for you when you're dying. Um, and then certain diseases can be more painful, right? So of course that's where the hospice comes in to help manage it. And I think the question you're asking is like, when you're, because people's loved ones will be laying there and not being able to speak, right? And they think their loved one is in pain. How do we know, right? And even when I say they're not, exactly. people are like, well, how do you know? Exactly. You know, you're not there. You're not laying, you're not laying there. Um, well, one, we know because we are uh, experienced healthcare workers who know how to read nonverbal cues. So people will give us nonverbal cues that they're in pain. They'll be extra guarded. They'll like flinch if you touch them. They'll have a froed brow. They might be moaning if you touch them and try to turn them and they make a really bad noise. That's indica- That's an indication of they may be in pain. Um, so there's things we can look for me- medically and we're trained to look for them. Also, because of our experience, I can speak from experience, you know, you see this day in, day out, right? So you know when a dying body looks comfortable because you've seen a comfortable dying body and you've seen a non-comfortable dying body. And I, 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 I say the dying body part because I think um, like, it, it, uh, what am I trying to say? It's like people, um, they attach... It is, it is someone's loved one, of course, but I also think it's really uh, good to kind of think of it like a body, sometimes a body, right? The body itself, right? So a dying body um, knows how to take care of itself and will show us if, they are, if it's in pain because we see it all the time. I mean, it's so clear for any hospice worker, if any hospice worker is listening, they'll know what I mean. It's like you can tell when someone's comfortable and when someone's not because they'll be fidgety, they'll be restless, they'll be agitated, they'll show it on their face. If this person, if this dying body looks calm, they most likely are calm. Now, um, and we can also do things like check vitals and uh, I don't like to do vitals so I feel like it's kind of towards the end. It's like they're going to be all over the place anyway. But you could. You could look at heart rate. Um, I just think in general, people need to understand that or it'll be helpful to know that um, when someone looks like they're just relaxed and sleeping, even if they look a little different because there's mouths hanging open and their eyes are open and they're breathing a little differently, that is how someone dying should look. Should look. That's literally how they should look. It'd be strange if they didn't. And just because they look a little different doesn't mean they're suffering or in pain. Mm-hmm. I do a lot of videos where I show the end of life breathing that can look really scary and really different. 
just to help educate people about this is what it looks like. And they're okay. Cause look at their face. They look so relaxed. They're so relaxed. You know, you, um, you turn them and they don't do or say anything that tells us right there that they are okay. And likely very, very unconscious, which is um, like, they're, they're likely, I don't know how to say like, they're not home, but you know, like they're, I, I, people don't, the person that is, when you're like that, you are likely very, very unconscious and a deep, deep, you're somewhere else, wherever that, wherever that place is, I don't know, but I really do think they're somewhere, they're, they're not fully there. So I have a question about that, not yeah. there somewhere else, because um, you might know um, David Kessler's books called, one of them is called Vision Trips and Crowded Rooms, where he has collected all these stories about what people say when they're in the dying process or just before. And you have probably experienced of that as well, where they talk about the other place or who's coming to support them. What yeah. have you heard about those kind of other places? Yeah. So that is one of the first things that I started educating people about, which made me go viral on, <laughs> on social media <laughs> yeah. um, is because that was the most fascinating thing that I saw as a hospice nurse. When I first started hospice nursing, we hand out this little booklet by Barbara Carnes, um, who, who actually puts in this booklet that usually around a few weeks before death, people will start having visions of, dead relatives, dead loved ones, dead pets, people have, who have already died, who they were close to and loved, right? Um, they will have visions. They will have, um, sometimes it's in dreams. Most of the time, it's just like clearly in front of them, their loved ones coming to get them, coming to say, you know, don't worry, we're going to take care of you. you we're not, you're not leaving yet, but you're coming with us soon. And don't worry, we'll be there to greet you and take care of you. And they say all types of things. But that is literally a sign of death and dying. <laughs> that is that is something that happens to people. Uh, obviously not everybody, but enough people that we put it in educational books to give to families and people dying to say, hey, if this starts happening, don't worry. As long as you are comforted by it, you're good. Um, and I see it so often. I mean, so often. So often that it's like not even surprising it's not I'm not even it special like, anymore yeah it's not it's like yeah that that's because people will so what i usually do is and the reason why i can see it so often i think because most people don't tell you because they're scared they're afraid to tell people yeah. that this is happening yeah. and they don't want people to think they're crazy or to deny what's happening to them um but the reason why i know it happens so often is because i usually go through this book with the families and patients and i'll say and then this will start happening and this will start happening and they'll go oh that's already happening you know, oh, that that's already happened. My dad came to me, blah, 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 blah. I didn't realize that was like a thing, you know? So I hear it. Um, I just hear it so often. It's, it's one of the, I think, such a fascinating thing. And really, as healthcare workers, it kind of gives us a timeline. Mm -hmm. If someone's saying they're seeing their dead father, you know, they probably have a few weeks. Mm -hmm. usually it's usually and people always think it's like sometimes it is right before or sometimes it is like during the actively dying process they'll reach up and say like mom or something um but a lot of times it's people don't get it people think oh it's medication oh it's lack of oxygen i'm like no <laughs> you don't understand visioning happens long before that visioning is usually they are alert and oriented and up and walking still and seeing dead relatives it's it's um so it's 
it's um, a mat. Ma- I hate using the word magical, but it's like a magical part of death and dying that we can't really explain. I don't know why it's happening, but I know it's happening. That's what I always say. People always think I'm trying to like push some agenda of like, there is an afterlife. It, it, and that's not what I'm trying to do. What I'm trying to do is be like, listen, this is literally a fact <laughs> about yeah. something that happens at the end of life. People see dead relatives who tell them messages and say, it's okay. We're coming to get you. You'll be fine. And probably because you have gone through the booklet with them, they know this is okay and they're not scared. Yeah. They actually to take yeah. it more as a com- sign of comfort than knowledge as opposed to oh, what's happening. What's happening. Yeah. Yeah. So one other question uh, that I have is a lot of people describe that their loved one just before they died seemed to become better again, sort of had an, an upward oh, yes. moment. You would like to say something about that? Yes. So the nickname for this is called like the rally or the surge. Now there's an actual medical name for it. It's called terminal lucidity, um, which we don't know why it happens, but it does happen in about one third of all of our patients. So like one in every three patients will experience the surge. Mm. That's a lot. That's a lot of people um, will experience this surge or this rally. And it's very specific. It happened to my grandma. I, I learned, I wasn't there, but my mom, once my mom learned about it, um, from me, which is so funny because I, you always forget, you think everyone knows all the things you kind of are around all the time and you realize people don't know this stuff. Um, hence why I am on social media, but, um, my grandma had the rally. So it's someone who is usually almost towards the actively dying phase. So getting very close to like sleeping all day, not really eating, not really getting up looking like they're very close to dying soon or getting close to that actively dying phase. And then suddenly they are are up, they wake up, they're hungry. You might, you might go to their room where you're used to seeing them sleeping and laying down and they'll be not there and you get freaked out. And then all of a sudden they're in the kitchen, like washing dishes and talking to you and saying they're hungry and they feel, they feel good today. Um, and, and then, so people freak out, right? Why is their loved one so much better? Or, eh, what's going on? They're usually excited. And the, 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 the thing with the surge is then they usually shortly die afterwards. So people don't live a long time during the surge. It's usually they're very, very close to death. This burst of energy where they're kind of like their old selves again, usually for a few hours to mm-hmm. sometimes a couple days, and then they die shortly after. So that's like the very distinct thing because there's certain diseases where you can kind of, kind of go up and down, up and down. If, if that's what you're experiencing, that's not the surge. The surge is something very specific, very close to death, this quick burst of energy, and then you die. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's usually only a few hours to a couple days. If it's any longer than that, I wouldn't consider it terminal lucidity. I would consider it the normal kind of waxing and waning of some of certain diseases. Mm. Does that make sense? It does. So many interesting things. And I find that people that are listening to this, I hope that they get the feelings that I got from listening to you, that it is the beauty of death that brought us here where we are and not just the, the scariness of, of what's not, 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 or what is happening. So yeah. if those people who listen have already had someone die, um, from those experiences that you have with the family surrounding the person who was dying, 
what kind of resources would you want them to know that has helped those family members that you have followed yeah. through their journey? Yeah, I think the, the the number one reason why I got on social media in the first place is because I wanted to help people understand. Um, okay, so actually, this is for people who haven't experienced this yet, but then I'm going to answer your question about people who have. Mm-hmm. Um, people who were willing to accept that they were dying, or at least say the honest words like, I don't want to die. I'm afraid to die. I don't want like, even though like even acknowledging that to me is like kind of accepting it, even even if it doesn't sound like that, like people who are willing to talk about it with their family, um, with their loved ones, seem to have a better quote unquote, like better death, more accepting, like the death that we saw where people were just around them and, and loving on them and accepting what was happening. And it was this beautiful, sacred moment. So that's why I always want people to to start learning about this because the more you learn, I feel like the more likely you will uh, be able to do that at the end of someone's life or the or at the end of your life. People who have already experienced this and whether you did that or not, I think um, some resources. I, I think the the main thing I'd say is don't be afraid to um, start learning about start learning about death and dying whether that's however you like to learn, right? Reading, watching videos like my videos, or there's tons of people like me on the internet, you know, learning about grief, learning about what death and dying really looks like. I've had so many people write into me saying, you know, um, my so-and-so died two years ago. Watching your videos have really helped me understand what I saw. And I don't feel as scared anymore, or I don't feel as traumatized. Because I think a lot of people feel like they had a very traumatic um they witnessed something very traumatic because they didn't understand it mm-hmm. um and then being able to educate themselves on what they were seeing brought them a lot of relief i think a, a, another thing too is people heal in community and i and i am one to be anti getting help and not not getting help but like getting help in a group setting i feel like but i think there's something so powerful about um, healing in a group together. Like the, we need community of people who are going through the same thing that we're going through to relate to each other, to not feel alone. And I think so often grieving can make you feel alone. Exactly. Um, so to find other people who are feeling the same way, experiencing the same things um, is such a huge, huge thing that I always try to advocate for and tell people to do you know, find a community of people who are going through what you're going through or who are went through what you went through. Um, mm-hmm. I just think there's so much healing in connection. I know when I feel really bad or really sad, it makes me want to retreat and be alone. And I think that's not helpful. <laughs> I think doing the opposite of that, being with someone saying how I really feel, someone's safe, obviously, that's why I feel like it's good to be with someone in a community of people who have experienced the same thing. Yeah. So they they understand, they truly do understand. Um, even though it feels so counterintuitive sometimes, I think that is where we can find um, comfort. Maybe not totally healing, because I feel like grief is a lifelong thing, but just comfort to know you're not alone. Mm. I absolutely agree with you from a political point of view. It is with safety and connection that we heal. Yeah. Yeah. I hear that yeah. so often. So I could continue talking to you with no end, <laughs> but my listeners are sort of used to a sort of a time frame. But 
thank you so much. I, I really, really appreciated you for having given us that time and allowed us to have a glimpse into your world. Thank you. So like with any podcast guest of mine, I'm going to use the rapid fire question just sort of to round it up. Shall we do that now? Sure, let's do it. So grieving and trauma means? Uh, love. And healing means? Connection. And what have you learned about yourself in the light of being a palliative hospice nurse? Oh, man. I think life is about... I've learned that life is about connecting to other people. Mm -hmm. And what would be one thing you wish people knew about death and dying? That it can be beautiful and our bodies know how to die. It's okay. And the last one, what would be one thing that has changed since you experienced what you have experienced in those years being a hospice and palliative nurse that you wouldn't want to miss? I, uh, I don't know if this is actually answering it, but I wouldn't want to miss all the people I get to meet. Like, I, I guess I say that because, you know, I'm taking on the social media role, this educator role more and more versus being an actual hospice nurse. I still am, but I do it, you know, I'm doing it like half and half now. Mm -hmm. And that's changed in my life. Normally I'm just a hospice nurse. And there's one thing that I think I, I will never stop being a hospice nurse because, and because I don't want to miss the me meeting people. Like yeah. truly that is like my greatest gift, meeting the patients, meeting their families, not even just talking about death and dying, but talking about where they're from and going into their home that they've had since 1950 in Los Angeles, you know, just the, and like they're walking to your home, their home and it's like stepping into like a time machine and mm -hmm. all these pictures of their family and their life and these parties they threw in the sixties. And, you know, just, just, I would, I would never want to give that up. I love it. And no matter what I end up doing with the social media thing, I never want to stop being able to meet people in some way mm -hmm. and like learning about them and learning about them because it's so amazing. So thank you so much. It has been such a rich time with you. And thank you for all that you shared. Thank you. Thank you for giving me this, the, the time to share. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening to How to Deal with Grief and Trauma. If you'd like to be updated on future episodes, please subscribe to my newsletter on nataliehimmelrich.com. If you need grief support, please contact me for a 30 minutes free discovery session. How to Deal with Grief and Trauma is produced and edited by me, Natalie Himmelrich. To support this podcast, please rate, review and subscribe to or follow the podcast on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you. And remember to keep reading. I promise it will get easier.